All right, remember last week, we talked about growing faith and we did an in-depth study uh, where we compared the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and crossing the Jordan. And they're, uh, they're separated by about 40 years. And we see these two events very similar in a lot of ways. You know, uh, the people of God coming up on a water obstacle in their, in, in, in their journey, but um, their reaction to it is very different in these two different um, scenarios. So if you didn't get a chance to hear that message, I would encourage you to go to our website and go to gardenstatechurch.com later and not right now, but later. And you can listen to that and really uh, look at the difference. And, and the, the, the challenge is, is to, to, in our lives, is to allow ourselves to grow um, and to change and to evolve the way they did over those 40 years. Um, but one of the major, well, and you can see from the photo here, uh, you can see, I showed this illustration. This is the peach tree of love. Uh, this is a peach tree that I started growing in 2018. And from a pit that I got while my wife and I were on uh, away for anniversary, it was in upstate New York. And uh, of all the, the, the pits that grew, one made it. And there it is on the left about, what, five years ago and uh, four years ago. And on the right, there it is in my front yard. That picture is about a week old. It's like 10 feet tall. And the point is, is, is growth is inspiring and growth happens when the circumstances are right. And so that's kind of the point of all of this is we're trying to create the right circumstances in our heart and in our church so that faith will grow. It will just happen. Now, other things will grow too when the circumstances are right. If you look in that picture on the right, you can see at the bottom, some sort of viney plant is growing at the bottom of my tree and some sort of, um, I don't know, uh, gourd is growing down there. And I thought, all right, well, that's cool. Let's, let's see how that goes. Well, the day after I took this photo, uh, it was gone the next day. <laughs> the, the deer came in and also thought, they also enjoyed the growth and they ate whatever it was. So it's gone, but, uh, but the tree is still there and uh, it is inspiring to see growth. And, and so these are principles that, that carry over into our spiritual lives. Well, one of the major factors when you compared the crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan River 40 years later, one of the, the major factors was, um, was uh, or one of the biggest uh, things, the tools that God used in order to help change and alter and, and, and allow the Israelites to grow was the desert. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. In fact, they spent 40 years in the desert. And so our topic tonight is going to be the transformative power of a desert. Um, you know, most of us, uh, we're not that familiar with deserts. We live in the Northeast of, of the United States. There's not a lot of deserts around here. One time I tried to Google what the closest desert was to us and kept getting a bunch of dessert places. Um, but, uh, and I spelled it right. I didn't spell it wrong, but, um, but you know, you, you know, there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of deserts around here, so we're not really used to that. But but if you've ever been to a desert, you know they're pretty. It's a, it's a pretty intense thing. Um, we went earlier this year on a family trip out west, and uh, we were in Nevada, and we were in Las Vegas, and we drove north up into the desert. And I'd never been in the desert like that. And um, and you know, honestly, I was driving around, and we were driving in the desert. I thought this is actually pretty amazing. I don't know what the big deal is. 
uh, this is, it's beautiful. And it just kind of goes on. And I, it's like, this is kind of cool. And then someone reminded me, well, yeah, but you know, when you talk about deserts in the Bible, they, they weren't driving around in rental cars with air conditioning and GPS and a cell phone and a gas station every couple of miles that you could stop and get something to eat. So it's not really a fair comparison today's desert experience and what a desert meant back then. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a desert as a metaphor for growing our faith. It is one of the tools that God uses. It is deserts are a time of refinement in our life. There are times of challenge. There are times often of difficulty, times when you and I just have to sit and wrestle with God. That's what we mean when we're talking about a time of, of a desert, a, a desert time in our lives. There are, deserts are tools that God uses to transform us. And often they are unwanted journeys. You know, they're not necessarily journeys that we, we want or we've pursued, but they're also uh, often very needed journeys for us. These times of desolation, these times of pain, these times of difficulty in our lives. Desert experiences are necessary for us to become what God wants us to be. And that's why we're talking about the transformative power of a desert. Uh, I'm going to read to you, of course, about one of the most uh, famous deserts here in a minute. But you do see this theme of deserts all throughout the Bible. Uh, or desert-like experiences, I should say, like Joseph, for example. You know, Joseph spent 13 years in a desert, a spiritual desert, from the time he had his visions from God to the time he became second in command of all of Egypt. It was 13 years of pain and, and prison and struggle, but that was a desert time for him. Moses you know, we know of Moses as the leader of the, of the great exodus of the people, um, but before he became the great leader, um, he spent 40 years in a desert tending sheep. And so he spent a lot of time also before he became the great leader that we, thought we know of him now in a desert-like experience. David, after anointed king by Samuel, um, almost immediately, not not immediately, but very close to immediately, goes on, on the run for his life. Saul is trying to kill him. And this run from cave to cave and through the wilderness becomes a desert-like experience for him that he goes through before he eventually becomes king. Um, you know, Job, you can read the book of Job. Almost all we know of Job is a desert, you know. <laughs> We know that he had a life before the, the desert, and we know about it afterwards. But the whole book is almost about his desert experience. Even the Apostle Paul, according to Galatians 1, after he became a Christian, went to Arabia, it says, and seemed for a while to disappear before he came back and, uh, and uh, became the leader that we know that he was or that he became. And so it sort of suggests this time of desert, even for Paul, this time of refinement. And so this is part of, of growing faith, is if we are going to be Christians for any period of time, we are going to go through difficult desert-like times. And so, again, I mentioned one of the greatest examples of this is Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Now, the older versions of the NIV calls Jesus, this, this passage talks about Jesus going into the desert. The newer version of the NIV actually calls it the wilderness. So, you know, I, I may slip up and call it desert. It, it says wilderness, 
But for the sake of our metaphor here, what we're talking about, it's the same thing. It's a time of going out by yourself and wrestling with God. So let's read this together. Let's read about Jesus after he was baptized. You know, he came out of the water and then he went into the wilderness, into this desert. So I'll read to you uh, Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse one. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And of course, older versions say desert into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11, it says, then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. All right, this is a very intense uh, text or scenario where, where Jesus goes into the wilderness. But I think there's a lot of, a lot that we can learn from, you know, Satan comes and he tempts him. And, and Jesus resists, uses the word of God. There's a lot of great lessons here, but I think there's also a lot of great lessons for us to learn about what it means to be transformed in the desert. The first thing that I think we can learn from this is deserts are on purpose. Deserts, spiritual deserts in our life are on purpose. Um, you know, when the Israelites left Egypt, they went to, they, they, God took them to the Red Sea on purpose. And they went through the Red Sea. And shortly after the Red Sea, they stopped at Mount Sinai, where God gave them commandments and direction. And then, believe it or not, they, um, believe it or not, they, they were supposed to go into the promised land right then. They were supposed to go right in. And remember the story, it's in Joshua, or I'm sorry, in Numbers 13 and 14, where they got 12 spies. They sent them into the promised land, looked it over. Ten of them came back and said, this is not going to work. We can't do this. Two of them were faithful, but 10 of them were not. And the people followed and believed the faithless spies. And so they were supposed to go into the promised land right then. But they didn't because of their faithlessness. So God says, you know what? I am going to refine you and I'm going to change you. And he, this is when he on purpose sends them into the desert. And that is one of the things we learn about deserts is that they are on purpose. God wants to change us. He wants us to grow. Going back to our, our, our passage we just read about Jesus, it says there in verse one, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. I don't know if you caught that. 
Jesus was led. It wasn't that that he just found himself there. It wasn't that Satan drew him into the desert. He was actually led by God's spirit into the desert. It wasn't an accident that Jesus went into the desert, into the wilderness. It wasn't a mistake. Jesus, you know, it wasn't like God for, forgot, oh, where, wait, where's Jesus? Oh my gosh, what's he doing out there in the desert just wandering around? No, he was led there on purpose. And the point is, deserts in our life are on purpose. Why? Because God uses them like he did with the Israelites to refine us, to change us, and to truly mold us. And you go, well, hold on a second, Bill. What, are you saying Jesus needed refinement? Jesus needed change? Well, I guess so. I mean, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 teaches us about Jesus that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So even Jesus, in all of his perfection and the fact that he was God in physical form, still had things to learn. He still had things to grow in. And God used suffering to teach Jesus, to help him learn obedience. So this is the plan for Jesus. Why would we think we would be any, uh, we would be exempt of this as Jesus's followers? You see, again, the point is deserts are on purpose. God leads us into the deserts so that we can be refined, so that we can learn things. You know, one of the greatest uh, temptations, I think, in a desert, when personally for me, when I'm in my spiritual wilderness or desert, one of the temptations for me, and maybe you feel this way, is to feel forgotten. You know, to think, God, you know, I'm here, I'm struggling, I'm wrestling with something. God, where are you? I, have you forgotten about me? It's very similar. Remember the story of the disciples and the boat and the storm came up? And it must have been a bad storm because they were really scared and they were fishermen, right? So it must have been pretty rough. But Jesus was sleeping in the boat. Remember that story? And they woke Jesus up. And what is the first thing they say to him? They say, don't you care that we're going to drown? I mean, that's what they said to Jesus when they woke him up. That's exactly what we do at times, if we're really honest. When we, when these storms come up, when these deserts come in our life, our first thought is, God, don't you care? I thought you cared. God, aren't you there? We think somehow God has made an error or God has uh, is some sort of accident or, or blunder has happened. And the truth is that we are there because God has permitted it. And in some cases, God may even lead us like Jesus to the desert. He may lead us there so that we can be changed. And so I want to urge you and encourage you that when you're in the desert, don't give up. Don't give in to the thoughts that God doesn't care. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 teaches us. Romans chapter 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we know that when God's purpose is happening, that God's doing it out of love. It's part of his love for us. God works these things out. But we learn from deserts that deserts are 
on purpose. Well, why? Why? Why, you may say. What is it? Well, let's go back to our text here. Uh, read in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lesson number two that we get from deserts, the transformative power of deserts. Deserts are on purpose, and deserts remind us what's important. You see, in this passage, in, in Jesus's desert, in his wilderness here, he had been fasting for 40 days. And so he's obviously hungry. So Satan comes to him and tempts him, tempts him first with his identity. You know, if you, if you really are the, the son of God, you know, if you are who you claim, why don't you do this thing, turn some stones into bread? And Jesus' answer to him is no, God and his word are what's most important here. That's Jesus's answer. And that's what happens in a desert. It, it, it helps focus you on what's really important. When you are going through difficult times, challenging times in your life, struggles, spiritual deserts, if you let it, it will focus you. It will turn your attention to what's really important. I've, listen, it's, it's no secret. I've shared this with many of you. It's been a really hard year for me this year. I, I, there's been a lot of loss in my life and around people, uh, in lives of people around me and people that I love. A very close friend of mine lost his son this year and very sad situation, very difficult situation. Seven days later, I lost my father. My father passed away unexpectedly. You know, there's been a lot of people that I've been close to that, that have been struggling and going through difficult times. And, 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 and although it may not be me that's going through it, it's people that I love. And I carry that weight and it hurts. And I see loss in people's lives. And so I've had many this year, many, many days of, of, of desert-like times of sadness and and pain in my life. But I will tell you, I will tell you, it has reminded me, it has forced me to remember what is truly important. Because what's important is all I have. You know, it, it's all I got. You know, it's, it's driven me to my knees over and over, just begging God and pouring out my heart to God and asking God and, and crying out to God and literally crying with God. You know, it's, it's, uh, pushed me and 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 forced me and 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 called me to really dig in the scriptures and really read the Bible and reread the Bible and read it again and look at passages again and really dig for things that I can hold on to verses that will will strengthen me or 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 comfort my soul. You know, it's really pushed me to hold on. Just and I'm not talking you know, you know, publicly when I'm, I'm talking in my own personal life, when I'm at home, just digging through the scriptures, it's strengthened. These times have strengthened my relationships with people that I love. It's helped me remember what's really important, that things and stuff and accomplishments, those aren't what's really important. What's really important is people and love and connections. And, and uh, especially when you, you don't know when they may be gone, you know? And so 
the, this, the desert of this year has forced me, has really forced me to, to remember what's important. And that's what deserts do. They, they, make you, they make you remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it. It helps you remember what's important. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Did you catch that? Did you catch what's in it? It's saying that, yes, you do have trials and you do have deserts and you have struggles in your life, but you can actually find some joy in that because these times, they refine your faith. They make your faith genuine, more of greater in your faith, it says, is of greater worth than gold. Even gold, which is very valuable, perishes in fire. But your faith, when, when the fires of, of the desert come around you, you your faith is, is, is made more genuine and more sincere. Why? Because deserts help us remember what's important. So are you in a desert right now? I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you're going through some things. Are you, are you trying to, even in the midst of the pain, are you trying to go, okay, God, what is it that you want me to see? What is it you want me to learn? What important principles are you trying to get me to either remember or embrace, maybe even for the first time? This is the transformative power of a desert. A desert. Deserts are on purpose. Deserts remind us what's important. And lastly, deserts prepare us for God's power. Deserts prepare us for God's power. Deserts in our lives, these wilderness-type times when we wander, you know, they lay the groundwork for miracles in our life. Uh, you know, when you, going back to our text here, you know, after, after Jesus left the desert, he returned from the desert on fire for God. Not literally on fire, right? But like spiritually, his spirit was on fire. In fact, Luke's version of this same story, Luke 4, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. And of course, he goes on to change the world. And so this is the transformative power of a desert. Yes, deserts are difficult. And yes, they're on purpose. And yes, they, they refine and fine-tune our convictions and our faith. But they also lay the groundwork for God to do miracles in our lives. You know, um, it's amazing. You know, think about the Israelites. You know, think about the Red Sea and how faithless they were at that time and how they just the only thing they wanted to do was just to go back to Egypt, go back to the slavery they'd given up, go back to all the bad things. Compare that to 40 years later when it's time for them to enter the promised land and, and you see an incredible amount of power. They, In fact, they enter the promised land with great power. They go in and without even raising a weapon, 
conquer the walls of Jericho and not, you know, knock down the walls. I mean, purely through God's power. Why? Because the desert had prepared them for God's power. You know, this idea of death preceding life is all through the Bible. You see it over and over and over. And as followers of Christ, we really have to be comfortable. You never really get comfortable, but you really have to learn to embrace this idea of if you want life, there's first got to be death. If you want to live, you got to deny yourself. If you want to, if you want something great, if you want to see God's power, you got to be willing to go through a desert. You know, John 12, verse 24 is probably one of the most uh, poignant ways that this principle is described. In John 12, 24, it says, very truly, Jesus said, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so again, this idea of death is preceded, or life, I'm sorry, is preceded by death throughout the scriptures. If you want life, you've got to be willing to die. That's what happens in a desert. It prepares us. If we let it, these desert-like struggles, these difficulties, these times when, whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's relational pain or financial pain or you name it. I mean, whatever the trial is, whatever the struggle is, if we let it, if we allow it, it can teach us what's important and it can really prepare us for God's power. Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> I love that verse. It's like God concedes. Yes, there's no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Again, that's Hebrews 12, verse 11. Yes, deserts are difficult. Yes, deserts are painful. However, if you hang in there, it will produce a harvest, not just uh, you know, a few crops here or there, not just you know, one little peach tree in your yard, but like a forest of peach trees. <laughs> Uh, you know, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in, in it. So I urge you tonight, I urge you, hang in there. Hang in there. This is a tool. Deserts are a tool that God uses to transform your faith from the Red Sea type faith to the Jordan River type faith. And you may have to be in this, you know, how long you spend in the desert is you know, it's up to God and it's up to you and, you know, but it's different for every person, but hang in there because it is a tool that the Lord uses to grow our faith. I'm going to throw a couple of scriptures here up on the screen. Um, and I just, you know, you, you can just take a, a screenshot of that if you want. You know, this is just a little bonus thing. I just wanted to throw this in there. What do you do in the desert? all right, I'm in the desert, Phil. So what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm going to let God transform me. I'm here on purpose, you know, because God's led me here. 
you know, I, I'm trying to remember what's important, of course, and I know that God's preparing me, but what do I do in the meantime? Well, here's a couple of verses, and I'm going to show you three. You can just look at these. Um, these are great verses for what to do if you're in a desert right now. These are th these are just three I thought of. There's plenty of them out there. And hopefully this will kind of prime the pump in you to get you to go and do some research on your own on, uh, on, on there's a lot of verses like this on what to do when I'm in the desert. First Peter 4:19. It says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There you go. There's a practical thing you can do when you're in the desert. Are you in the desert right now? Is it difficult right now? You don't know where you're going. You don't know what God's doing. You can't see the end. You don't have the answers. You're in pain. You're hurting. Well, you know what you can do is you can commit to God. Amen. That's what we're talking about. But then you can also, you can do some good. You can do good. You can do good things even when you're in pain. It's harder. It's definitely harder, especially when you're in emotional pain and you want to snap at people and you want to, you know, you want to take your frustration out on people around you. It's hard. But and sometimes the good you do is just not doing the bad, <laughs> but you can do good. You can, you can think, well, you know, it may not be, it may not what be what other people consider something epic and huge. You know, I went out and I evangelized with 10,000 people yesterday. All right. Maybe you're not up for that right now, but you can do something good. You can do good. This is what you do. According to the Bible, this is a practical thing we can do when we're suffering. Do good. Commit yourself. Do good. Hebrews 12, verse 7. What else can we do? Endure. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? This is part of the passage I just read a few minutes ago about the harvest that we get. But this gives us a little practical thing to do. You're in pain. You're hurting. Endure. Just hang in there. You know, I, I remember, especially as a young Christian, there were times when I was struggling with my faith where... I didn't know which way was up. You know, I was just, just trying to hang in there. But the one thing I thought is I'm just not going to quit. Just not going to quit. You know, I'm, I'm, it, when church rolls around, I'll at least go to church. I may be the worst person in that church, but I, I'm going to be there. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to endure. I'm going to hang in there because you learn that nothing lasts forever. Deserts don't last forever. They don't last forever. Eventually there will be a harvest. The Bible says. Now, when does that harvest come? Well, that's in God's time, you know, but but it's but you can endure, endure. And then here's a tough one, I think. Romans 3, I'm sorry, Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So this also talks about this principle of hanging in there because it's going to pay off. There will be a harvest. Your character will change. There will be hope. Hang in there. But it also says, and this is what I think is challenging, when you're suffering, you can glory in your sufferings. Another version I read said, celebrate in your <laughs> sufferings. I know when I'm suffering, that is the last thing I want to do. And it's not saying you got to pretend like you're happy if you're not happy. That's not what we're saying. Like, hey, how are you doing? I'm great when really you're terrible. We're not saying lie. But we're, what it's teaching us is that you can, there can still be a sense of glory. Like because of everything we've talked about, you are there on purpose. 
God is with you. He's taking you to this desert. He is transforming you. He is preparing you. He is teaching you things. And so in that, you can celebrate. Not that it feels good, because we just read that. It's painful. But you can still celebrate. You can still glory in your sufferings. Because you know that God is doing this on purpose, that there's an end in sight. You know, I, I, um, I think deserts are, are meant to transform us. I think that's pretty clear from the scriptures. They're not made, desert times are not made to revise us or edit us a little bit or tweak us. No, desert times are meant to totally transform us, to really go deep and make us different people. I heard a radio program um, it, it wasn't a, a spiritual radio program. It was a talk show. They were talking about transformation and they were doing studies on different ways they saw transformation in nature. And they started talking about butterflies and they were talking about what we all know is a caterpillar, you know, eats, eats a lot of food, a hungry caterpillar, and then he makes the little cocoon and then he comes out and he's a big, beautiful butterfly. We all know how that works, but they were really um, talking about this whole transformative process and how, how does this work exactly with a butterfly? And so what they decided to do is when the caterpillar went into the chrysalis, into the cocoon, they decided to cut it open, take a look and see what was inside. And so they did. And what they saw amazed them. And this story, as they told it, amazed me because what they saw inside of the cocoon was goo, you know, just like, like caterpillar liquid, just just a gooey substance in there, right? It, it wasn't what, what I expected it to be. And maybe if you ever think about it, maybe you expect the same thing. I expected when you cut open it, you know, mid transformation, you cut open a cocoon, you find a caterpillar halfway in between growing some wings. You know, that's kind of what I thought, you know, yeah, caterpillar just goes in there, grows some wings, comes out, it's good to go. But what they saw and what they talked about was it's an utter transformation that when the caterpillar goes in there, he doesn't just grow some wings and then come out as a butterfly. He actually completely liquefies. The, the, the bug becomes a liquid and then it reassembles on a molecular level, not just, you know, a couple of wings on his back, but a molecular level, it's it's transformed into a brand new creature. I mean, something that doesn't even look like a caterpillar anymore. And this is transformation. And this is what God does with us, especially in the desert times in our life. God is not looking to just slap a couple of spiritual wings on your back. He's not looking just to correct a few bad habits you may or may not have. What he's trying to do with us is transform us on a molecular level, in a spiritual level, like down in our hearts and our souls, who we are and how we think. And that's hard work because most of us are pretty stuck in who we are, you know, who we've been. So God transforms us like a caterpillar into a butterfly. God reorganizes us. And one of the tools he uses is a desert because he's going to make us into something brand new. Let me close out. I'm going to close out by reading Psalm 77 to you. And, uh, and then after that, we're going to have a song. Um, and uh, I want to encourage you when we play the song, it's a pre-recorded song done 
in the early days of, of the pandemic and done by our brothers and sisters in South Africa in one of the churches there. And it's a great song. And I really want you, as we listen to it, to pay attention to the lyrics. But before we do that, I'm going to read to you Psalm 77. Listen to the writer here talk about this process and specifically talking to about the, the Red Sea. Psalm 77 <clears throat> says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I, med I, I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will you, Lord, reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? This guy is going through some serious desert time. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appear. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works. I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. With your mighty hand, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, through, the, through your footprint, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is a transformed heart. This is someone that goes from the darkness and the struggle of a desert to remembering the greatness of God, coming out and seeing and remembering the great power of God. Deserts are crucial parts of our lives. And we as disciples, we can't run from them. We may not like them, they're going to be painful, and they're going to be difficult, and oftentimes we have to walk them alone. There may be people around us that we love that are praying for us, but sometimes you just got to go through things with you and the Lord, but these are transformative things that make us what we want to be and what God wants us to be. We're going to close out with this last song, and again, it's called Praise You in the Storm. It's maybe a song you've heard before. It's a great song, but I really want to encourage you to listen to the lyrics and uh, to really let your heart be moved by the idea of praising God, even when we're in the midst of storms. Thank you.